Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Good morning, Birdlands. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's May the 22nd, 2023. Break out the brooms if you haven't already because the Orioles are 31-16 and 16 on the season after pulling off a three-game sweep in Toronto. I still can't believe it. On their Sunday victory, it was an 8-3 to three win in 11 innings, and it was absolutely one of, quote-unquote, those wins that I talk about on this podcast where it just feels like these are the games where you almost have no idea how the Orioles pulled it off, and they've They've really been consistently winning games like that through this season. And, you know, that was a hallmark of when the Orioles were really successful in the last decade. And once they started succeeding last year as well, they kind of flipped around the script from the bad years and they started pulling out wins that you almost can't even believe. Like for yesterday, the Sunday game, uh, it was they were really headwinds going against the Orioles going into the game because they were going to face former Oriole Kevin Gossman. And sure enough, Kevin Gossman had a strong eight-inning outing for the Toronto Blue Jays. He, th- uh, he threw more pitches than he had thrown in five years. There was Kevin Kiermeyer making a ridiculous play to Rob Gunnar Henderson of a hit that might have scored a run at the time. And I'm sick of Kevin Kiermeyer, but we're still stuck with him. He's in Toronto now after plaguing us in uh, Tampa Bay for so long. Dean Kramer went five and a third innings, although they were a good five and a third. It was one earned run and seven strikeouts. That's pretty good. However, the Orioles maybe needed a little bit longer of an outing from him because probably there was not any circumstance where any of Brian Baker, Yenier Cano, or Felix Bautista were going to pitch in the game. And sure enough, none of them did. And the Orioles won anyway, even though the game went 11 innings and they didn't have any of those three guys pitch. Uh, Michael Givens had kind of a shaky inning in his first outing of the year. He gave up a run that allowed the Blue Jays to tie the game, and eventually the game did go into extra innings. The team's traded runs in the 10th, and then the Orioles exploded for five runs in the top of the 11th inning. That inning featured RBI hits by all of Austin Hayes, Taryn Vavra, and Cedric Mullins. 
Mullins had five hits in six at-bats on the day. He now leads the team in both OPS and RBI, among other categories. So, you know, once again, the Orioles, there was just so much going against them. They had no business winning that game. You could have very easily been, we all would have been happy if they had just taken two out of three from Toronto. They were really kind of playing with house money on that Sunday afternoon game. And even so... Uh, the Orioles pulled it off. They got a road sweep. The Baltimore Suns, Nathan Ruiz, tweeted out that uh, that was the first sweep of an AL East opponent by the Orioles since the first series of the year in 2021, their first sweep of the Jays since August 2018, and their first sweep of the Jays in Toronto since April 2005. So somebody who was not even born the last time that the Orioles swept the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto is could now be 18 years old. So that's really something, right? Uh, it's, it hasn't happened in quite some time. It's crazy, but the 2023 Orioles did it. They're 31-16 and 16 now. They're on pace to win 107 games over the season. That's 29% of the season down through 47 games. Um, you know, there's a lot of baseball left, but... The Orioles were 19 and 28 after playing 47 games last season. So that's a big improvement. 12 games to be exact. That is substantial. And for me, that's great because as I noted on this podcast, one way they could improve on last year just very easily is play better in April and May, worry about June and beyond after that. And so far they're living up to play better in April and May. Already got a great April in the books. May is looking pretty good so far, too. The Orioles are now 10-6 and through the first 16 games of the 22-game tough stretch. They've already exceeded my now pessimistic hope for at least a 9-13 and record. Uh, all they need to do is don't get swept in either of the next two series, and the Orioles will come out of the 22-game gauntlet. Uh, with an above 500 record of at least 12 and 10 in that 22 games. So there's still two tough teams waiting for them. The New York Yankees are next. They're 29 and 20 on the season so far. And after that is the Texas Rangers, who are 29 and 17. And that gives them a two game lead in the AL West. It is one of the many divisions. In fact, every other division other than the AL East would be led by the Orioles with their current record, but instead the Orioles are looking up at the Rays. However, they are looking up a little bit less far after Sunday because the Rays actually lost on Sunday. So the Orioles at the moment are two and a half games back in the American League East, and that will not change on Monday here today because the Orioles are off. They will then be heading to New York to play the Yankees. The Yankees are winners of four straight heading into this uh, series. They're coming off a series where they swept the Reds. Not as impressive, if you ask me, as a swept of, sweep of the Blue Jays. But nonetheless, four straight wins for the Yankees. A real quick look at uh, the pitching matchups coming up in this series. Game one is another one of these tough matchups. Just looking at the match, uh, the pitching on paper. The uh, Yankees 
ace Garrett Cole is pitching on the Tuesday game. He's got a 2.01 ERA so far this season, putting together a Cy Young caliber season already. He's made 10 starts. He's got a 2.7 B-War. That's better than anyone on the Orioles by uh, at least 0.8. I believe the Orioles leader right now is Yenier Cano at 1.9. So it's going. he's going to be opposed by Kyle Bradish, who's on a good roll lately. He's got a 3.90 ERA on the season. Of course, it's going to be a, a tough test for him going up against the Yankees lineup. Although, uh, the Yankees lineup is less vaunted than it has been in the past, although there are there is, of course, the fearsome Aaron Judge. Uh, Anthony Rizzo is also hitting very well. However, the Yankees have some guys who are really scuffling, and so if they can avoid being beaten by Judge particularly, and hopefully also Rizzo, maybe that will bear uh, good things for the series to come. On Wednesday, that is going to flip around on paper because the Orioles actually have by uh, the, the the performance of their starting pitching for, so far, t- uh, the advantage for the Wednesday game. Tyler Wells, the best Orioles starting pitcher to date, 2.94 ERA on the season. He will be opposed by Yankees lefty Nestor Cortez Jr., the very short-time Oriole. Cortez has been great for a couple of years, but not so great so far this season. A 5.21 ERA so far. I hope that can continue. The Orioles' offense, unfortunately, has had a bit of a tendency lately to kind of let some of these struggling pitchers off the hook. So we can hope they can turn that trend around a little bit for the Wednesday game. And Thursday actually also has an Orioles starting pitching matchup where the Oriole pitcher has a lower ERA than the Yankees pitcher. Kyle Gibson uh, has a 4.27 ERA on the season. He will be opposed by Yankees right-handed pitcher Clark Schmidt, who is sitting on a 6 ERA, 6.00 after making 10 starts this season. Schmidt has allowed eight home runs in 45 innings pitched, which we can certainly hope will be a good sign for the Orioles. Who knows? It's up, going to be up to their hitters to play well, going to be up to their pitchers to pitch well. And, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen, but a lot of good things have been happening for the Orioles so far this season. Uh, they may also have some good things going for them when they get into the back end of the Yankees bullpen, as the Yankees bullpen has got a few guys who have had some struggles this year. Uh, their initial closer, Clay Holmes, has a 3.44 ERA. Two other late-inning relievers who've scuffled to ERAs over four up to this point are Ron Marinaccio and Albert Abreu. That's not to say we can uh, expect the Orioles to coast through it, as they do have a trio of guys in with ERAs in the twos who look like they should maybe... Well, two of the three of them have uh, fielding independent pitching numbers suggesting they should stay in that range. The two that are succeeding... With even uh, with good FIPS as well are Michael King and Jimmy Cordero. The third one, Wandy Peralta, has a 2.04 ERA. He's picked up three saves so far. However, he's issued 10 walks in 17 and two-thirds innings, so his FIP number is not as good at 4.66. Um, you know, the, the, the Orioles, uh, two of the three games, they should be able to do well against the Yankees' starting pitcher, and uh, hopefully they'll be able to do that. Cortez has thrown a few more innings than Schmidt at 48.1, but he's also allowed eight home runs so far this season. So that's 
you know, that's a bit of a homer-prone pitcher so far this year. The Orioles are not one of the more prolific home run hitting teams in the league. They're uh, they're in they're they're in sixth place going into Sunday in the American League with 58 home runs as a team. So you know that's not bad. It's not uh, not going to have anyone shaking in their boots. But hopefully the Orioles can get themselves you know get the ball over the fence, especially in the joke bandbox of Yankee Stadium while facing some of these homer prone. Yankees pitchers. So I think that's probably going to be the biggest story of whether the Orioles can pull off another ALA series victory is how they can do against the Yankees starting pitchers on Wednesday and Thursday. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so I'm dipping into the mailbag. Today I have a comment from listener Kyle on the Homer Hose. Kyle writes, quote, On the one hand, I love to see the players having fun and bringing fun to the ballpark. However, seeing every team have a thing they do now kind of makes it feel inorganic and like a mandate from MLB that they all need to come up with something. End quote. Kyle, thank you for the kind words about the podcast and for the comment as well. Uh, I kind of agree with you. It is less fun when you feel like, okay, every team is almost obligated to have quote unquote a thing. Um... Last year, the Orioles had the home run chain. That was fun. It felt kind of organic because the home run chain was just given to the team through an intermediary through, what was it, like the first base coach's son or something uh, that originated from the fan now just known as Fired Up Guy, who you really will hear if you're in his part of the stadium uh, at Camden Yards. He's there a lot of the time trying to get people fired up. The home run chain turned into selling replicas in the team store, which are kind of still there because I guess the team store didn't get the memo that the home run chain was only going to be a one-year thing. I do think that some of the other teams' uh, gimmicks are fun. The Los Angeles Angels with the samurai helmet that was inspired by Shohei Otani. Uh, The Seattle Mariners have the trident, which I think is just really cool and on brand for the team being named the Mariners. I think the Orioles homer hose thing is just ridiculous fun. I I do agree. It's kind of tiring with so many teams feeling like they have to have quote unquote a thing. Um, You know, it, it, it's not very fun if the Orioles are not good this year, but they are last year, you know, they did unveil the home run chain before they started going off and winning as many games as they did. I I actually like that because it was almost like they were trying to set the uh, set a precursor for a good team needs to have this. And they just lined up the little home run gimmick ahead of time. I don't know. But, um, you know, one other thing Kyle said in his email is he probably thinks that uh, if anyone is out in the splash zone in a game where the Orioles are losing 10 to nothing and uh, someone hits a double and then suddenly they're getting sprayed, maybe they're not going to be the happiest in the splash zone that night. I I agree. I'm not planning on sitting in the splash zone and getting splashed. Uh, That probably would be less fun. But you know what? So far, they've all been fun games out there, and hopefully that continues to be the case uh, for at least most of the home games. The Orioles can at least be close and into it. As has been one of the trends so far this season, there are not very many Orioles, uh, huge wins or huge losses, by winning uh, today, by winning the Sunday game eight to three, 
They're now 3-1 and one in blowouts this season. So they've only played blowouts as defined by baseball reference, five or more run margin of victory. So they've only played four games out of the 47 that they've played where either direction was kind of a comfortable win for the team. And they've only lost one of those. So, you know, that's pretty good for uh, having Mr. Splash be able to hose down people and not have them feel like it's a complete lost cause and they don't know why they're sitting there being sprayed by a hose by this uh, strange man. So if you'd like to email me a comment for the show or a question that you would like answered on the show, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. Kyle, thank you again for the message. I'm going to move on to talk about the pro- uh, prospect of the episode. This is from the composite top 20 Orioles prospect list that I posted to camdenchat.com. You can spoil yourself about who's coming if you want. Number 17 is outfield prospect Hudson Haskin. He was the third player chosen by the Orioles in the 2020 draft. He was picked at number 39 overall. They signed him uh, for roughly a slot value pick. And at the time, I remember there was some consternation when the Orioles chose first Jordan Westberg and then Hudson Haskin because they did go way under slot in picking Heston Kerstad at number two overall in that draft. And at the time the Orioles picked Haskin, there were a number of pitchers who went on to sign over slot deals available. That included uh, the number 12 prospect on MLB Pipeline's draft prospect rankings for that class, which was Jared Kelly, a high school pitcher from Texas. Kelly eventually signed for $3 million. So the fact that the Orioles did not get kind of one of the, uh, the so to speak, name uh, guys that were expected to get over slot, you know, big over slot signings, uh, over slot bonuses. They didn't draft one of those guys. And there were people who were annoyed about that. There were people who thought that that meant the Orioles were being cheap. That was not the case. They did spend the money eventually in the fourth and fifth rounds of that five round draft on Kobe Mayo and Carter Baumler. Mayo, that's looking like a good expense so far. And, you know, Kerstad, now that he's rebounded as a prospect, now that he's finally healthy, makes the whole strategy look better. I think the fact that the Orioles divided the overslot money among two players helped their uh, chances of hitting on one of those players. And again, Mayo looking like a pretty good prospect right now. And so they didn't have all their eggs in one basket, which is not bad at all because actually looking at Jared Kelly's pro career, well, he's got a 6.88 walks per nine innings as a pro pitcher. And he's now in his third pro season, hasn't thrown too many games so far this year, uh, only four, but that's a guy with some command problems. And if that was the guy where the Orioles had drafted him instead of like Jordan Westberg or drafted him instead of Hudson Haskin, and then they didn't uh, end up picking Kobe Mayo in the fourth round because they didn't have the money to sign him, that draft would not look as good as it does right now. So, you know, I, uh, I feel like, although a number of people get annoyed for various reasons at Mike Elias's front office, sometimes they usually have pretty good reasons for deciding what they do and a great deal number of their decisions that they've made that were, you could see the logic when they made them, uh, and they've gone on to do pretty well for themselves so far. Now, the Orioles do need to actually, you know, either get useful big league players in trade for trading away some of these prospects that they made good picks to get, or start turning some of the prospects other than 
number one overall pick from 2019, Adley Rutschman, into useful players for the team themselves. But it, a lot of their draft decisions look pretty good so far. And the 2020 class, in part because of Hudson Haskin, uh, is one of the ones that looks good. So Haskin himself, he is the number 21 prospect in the Orioles system as rated by Fangraphs. And the thing they said about him is, quote, he is perhaps the most entertaining player in the Orioles system, end quote. And the biggest reason for that is that he has a weird swing that enables him to get a good head start as a lefty batter towards running to first base. So he can post really good times. They said 70 grade speed on the baseball 20 to 80 scale, getting from home to first alone, which that's really darn good. Um, As far as Haskins' potential role, they think he's capable of playing center field, which means he can be projected as maybe a fourth outfielder if he hits enough for that, or even kind of the fifth extra outfielder uh, who's around on the bench. Haskin had an 821 OPS for double-A Bowie last year, and his power broke out a little bit in a way that it had not before in his pro career as he hit 15 home runs on the season. Uh, unfortunately, he's only been able to play 13 games for AAA Norfolk so far this year. He suffered a hamstring injury that's now had him out for over a month. Before he was hurt with that hamstring problem, he had batted 391 for the season with a 500 on base percentage and a 652 slugging percentage. So again, that's only over 13 games. So that's a very small sample size, but you know, that's, that's some exciting performance. I had kind of thought going into the season that Haskin was playing himself to be maybe on track to supplant Ryan McKenna as the Orioles fourth outfielder, maybe during this season, uh, Ryan McKenna has rebounded to hit a whole lot better so far this year than he has done up to any point in his career so far. And I mean, honestly, McKenna, as long as we overlook the one glaring flaw of his season when he dropped the game end, what would have been the game ending pop up in Boston in the second game of the season, he's having a pretty darn good year. And it's easier to be forgiving about that now that the Orioles themselves are 31 and 16 on the season. And although that one loss was still stupid and it would be nice, you know, if they were uh, 32 and 15 instead, still, you know, we, we, we don't want to nitpick too much because of course, as the saying goes, uh, although it's less true than it used to be in the era of mega tanking, every team wins 60 and every team loses 60. And it's what happens with the games in the middle that really determines what happens in a team season. Now, when you've got the uh, Oakland Athletics going into Sunday's game at 10 and 37 or the Royals at uh, 14 and 33, maybe not everyone's guaranteed to win 60 anymore. Of course, we saw this ourselves with the Orioles, who failed to win even 60 games a number of years there, much to our chagrin. But, um, you know, we, we can't get too mad at McKenna, right? So anyway, Hudson Haskin. I don't know what his role is. He has to be added to the 40-man roster to be protected from the Rule 5 draft this coming offseason. So maybe the Orioles will add him. Maybe they'll move on from, like, Kyle Stowers or something. Uh, Maybe Haskin is going to be the kind of guy who is trade bait, uh, gets traded before. The Orioles need to make the decision of whether or not to add him to the roster. It's interesting if they become a team who is in the position to do that kind of thing. Um... Of course, the Orioles, uh, the the prospect we talked about last time I brought up a prospect, Seth Johnson, they acquired one of these players in trading Trey Mancini in the three 
team trade last year. And Johnson is still sitting on the 40-man roster. So, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to decide for Haskin. It wouldn't surprise me if he is traded for something like uh, some team's um, high A pitcher who's not very heralded, uh, especially if he was maybe like an international signing or something like that. But I don't know. Uh, he's got to get the hamstring healthy before we can really start to either project his trade value or his value to the Orioles. I don't think he has a timetable just yet. So, you know, he was having a good season, and hopefully whenever he's well again, he will be able to pick up something close to where he left off, uh, or at least something like he was doing last year for the AA Bowie Bay Sox. That's all I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe on your favorite platform and leaving a rating or review, and please tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will see you here again for another Good Morning Birdland on Wednesday. In between now and then, you can leave a comment on CamdenChat.com, tweet at me at CamdenChat, or again, email CamdenCastPod at gmail.com. Good Morning Birdland is a CamdenCast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's!